This episode of the Ty Capital Millionaire Podcast was brought to you by Black America Inc., a trillion dollar nation by A.R. Morton. Black America Inc. is a piece of literature that details and illustrates the socioeconomic solutions that black Americans can implement in their communities today. Whether it be being captains of our own industries, creating our own political parties, or just learning how to strengthen our overall health and wealth, Black America Inc. is what black Americans and Americans in general need to get to the next level in 2017 and beyond. For too many years, we have been talking about the problems and not the solutions. For too many years, we have been pointing fingers at each other without talking about the solutions. This is why Black America Inc. is important. If you're ready to build yourself up and rebuild your community, head on over to Amazon.com and order your copy of Black America Inc., a trillion dollar nation. My name is Andre C. Hatchett, a.k.a. Mr. Own or Be Own, and I'm encouraging everybody listening to this podcast to pick up my new book, Own or Be Own, The Black Man's Guide to Wealth Creation in America on Amazon.com. If you're a black man, if you need guidance, inspiration, a path, a path to follow to build wealth in this country, pick it up. Own or Be Own, The Black Man's Guide to Wealth Creation in America. This is the Thai Capital Millionaire Podcast, episode 28. My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Todd Millionaire. I am the founder and the director of the Todd Capital Investment Club that as of this morning has 151 members. I'm also the founder of Todd Acquisitions, which is working on our first few deals, uh, trying to get those in the pipeline. Um, and I'm also the founder of Todd Ventures, which is our crowdfunded venture capital firm. We have some great things going on um, with all of the Todd-related ventures. If you are interested in joining, we definitely want you to uh, give us give us a ring. You can email us at info at capitaltodd.com. Contact us on any platform, Twitter, Facebook, everything. We're there. Uh, but first, thank you all for tuning in. The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories of successful African-American investors and business owners so that people can see that business and investing are the true keys to financial success and generational wealth. Today we have somebody that goes by the name Investor on Instagram, and I saw that name and I knew it was somebody that I needed to follow. Um, I, I skimmed his page. He actually shared a book that he was reading. I think it was Habits of the Millionaire or something along those lines. I read that book. It was a great book. You know, maybe we can talk about that book a little bit, but wanted to get him on to share some of, the, some of his success, some of his real estate experience with you all so you guys can take something from his experience and hopefully apply it to your life. So with that, I would like to welcome him to the show. Welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, what's funny is I know your Instagram name, but I really don't know your legal name. Can you give us your name, please? <laughs> uh, my name is Christopher Senegal. Cool, cool. And so can you give the people some more um, some more background on your just who you are as a person and everything? Sure. So I'm from uh, Port Arthur, Texas, uh, born and raised in the Gulf, um, went to school for civil engineering and spent uh, a little over a decade in corporate America working for railroads while I was um, slowly building my real estate portfolio on the side. Very cool. And you're still located in Texas, right? Correct. I'm based out of Houston now. Okay. And is that where you re uh, you invest primarily is in Texas? So I have property here. I have um, one residential property in Memphis that used to be my residence when I first got out of college. And then I have a bunch of land that I'm purchasing in Baton Rouge and North, North Baton Rouge around Southern University to do a development project with. Nice. But mainly, the, all of my active real estate transactions and deals are in Houston. Nice. I know a lot of people, and myself included, are hearing a lot of really good things about Houston. 
Now, what's the draw there? Why? What's? Why is it making? Why is it such a hot market right now? Well, it's just uh, uh, it's a confluence of things with the the low cost of living. You know, it's the lowest cost of living out of the five big metropolitan cities in the U.S. Um, it's still the oil and gas hub for the United States. So you still have a lot of international trade, a lot of international money coming in and out of here. So the the real estate market is kind of propped up by the local economy and also by the international economy of people that are you know buying real estate here as long term investments. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So um, I mean, you mentioned the Memphis property. Was that your first real estate deal? Yeah. So I kind of fell into real estate, man. Um, I knew after getting out of school and working as an engineer for about a year that. It wasn't everything that we, you know, we're all taught that having a professional degree with a salary was was going to be. Um, I could just tell by the the demeanor of everyone else in the office that was a couple levels above me. Still looked like they were stressed out when they came to work every day. No one really looked happy. That I knew that I had to identify another source of income because I couldn't do that for the next 40 years. Um, so what I was really trying to do was get away from. The company that I was working for because they wanted me to go to Canada to work on projects. So I left that railroad and started working for another railroad, but it was in 2008 and I couldn't sell my house. So I was forced to get a property manager um, after I had moved to Houston to manage the house in Memphis. And lo and behold, they had gotten a tenant for me. They were collecting the rents if there was any maintenance or repairs. They were handling it out. So I was basically doing nothing and I was still cash flowing about 300 bucks a month. So that's kind of when a light bulb went off that, you know, th- this passive income stream it makes a lot more sense than having to actively trade my time to um, earn money. That's very cool, man. Um, I have one comment, and it's funny that you mentioned this because I think that a lot of times I do things and I don't even realize that I'm doing them, but I mean, I've worked in uh, corporate America since I've been out of school, worked in banking, worked in financial advising firms. And when you're in those environments, you can look at the managers, the the district managers and you look at that lifestyle and you're like is that what i really want because i mean if that's what you want and you stay in that lane that's what you're going to get after 20 years and it's like right exactly <laughs> so there's like that conflict and i think that's kind of what pushed me to be more financially independent build my own company those things that's cool the biggest crutch that a lot of us have in corporate america is listening to the hr department and the, the people development team where they promise everyone they can be the CEO, hmm. you know, and that kind of gets you stuck in that cycle where a lot of people, even if they see their boss is miserable, their boss's boss is miserable, they still have that ambition to be the first, the only one to break the ceiling, to do this, to do that, you know, and you kind of get burned out, getting caught in that cycle a lot of times. Yeah, I think that's, it's funny because they're, they're seeking to be the exception and it's very difficult right. to be the exception so it's like it's i'd rather go where the masses of people are exceptional and just be another one of those people than right over here trying to outrun the other rats in the race so um do you you still own the memphis property um what's your plan for that are you still hold that long term yeah i'm just i'm gonna continue to hold it um there's no need for me to get rid of it it's got equity in it now it's cash flowing and the, the Memphis uh, market is is pretty hot right now. They had taken a pretty big, a pretty good dive after the uh, recession, but everything's bounced back. So, yeah, I, I, it, I try to keep my low maintenance real estate in my portfolio just so I can maintain the, the tax write offs and everything mm-hmm. from them. So, uh, yeah, I don't have any any plans to dispose of that one. I think that's a cool idea. I think that a lot of times people um, they're looking for the buck instead of looking for the wealth. 
and so you hold something yeah. and you just never sell it and then what happens is you leave it to your kids they leave it to their kids and so they have not only the structure but they also have the land underneath that property so i think that's awesome that you're going to hold right. that property it's very cool yeah definitely definitely so um after that deal then where did you go so i was in houston and i basically became really focused on identifying how to get into the short-term real estate investment market flipping houses so um i started networking at real estate investment events and happened to find a mentor and a contractor who really worked for home investors um, he did a lot of deals for them and he kind of took me under his wing and he would actually walk properties with me and tell me which ones were good deals and which weren't weren't which ones weren't and then he actually was provide a turnkey contracting service for me. So he did everything as far as the flip. Now he made a little bit more money than I would have made if I was doing it myself, but it wasn't worth the risk or the headache to me um, just to have the peace of mind that, you know, I make the decision, close on the deal, and then, you know, let the contractor handle all everything themselves. I think sometimes people get caught up on making an extra 5%, 10% on a deal, but then all your time is obligated on that one um, that one project, whereas you can have three or four projects going at the same time, if you if you free up your personal time from having to actually micromanage each project. So, you you were working with a mentor, and then he found the deal, uh, and you guys went in together to make it happen. Is that what happened? No. So I, I use hard money. So um, I did have a good um, a good salary from my corporate job. So you know, most people buy new cars, buy whatever whatever um, non, non-asset related items that are, you know, really de- depreciatory. Um, I didn't do that. I just, I just said I was going to take all my money and put it into investment. So every paycheck I was putting that money aside, I was using it for down payments um, for the hard money loan to, uh, and the, the interest, you know, the carrying costs for the loans for the, the construction and rehab. So my mentor basically just made the money off of the construction as the contractor. Got it. Got it. I think that's awesome. I think that it's cool that, because that was where I was going to, well, there's a lot of things I can discuss there, but I think that one of the ways I wanted to figure out is how you were adding value to your mentor. I think that a lot of times people think that a mentor is just somebody who's going to give them the game for free. And I think that I knew there had to be something that you were doing to add value to him. And it seems like you were giving him that business on the contractor side, right? Correct. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. That's cool. That's very cool. I, I see no problem paying for insured success over taking 100% of a potential failure. So I think that's awesome, man. I think that was very smart. Um, another thing that you touched on that I really liked, I wrote an article about this this morning, is where you have these income, these high income careers, and you have a choice. You can buy something that is going to obligate all your cash and depreciate in value and really not put you in a better position financially, but you chose to buy investments. So can you kind of talk about how how many homes you were able to flip just by using that strategy and how your financial situation looks different now based off of doing that strategy? I took probably about 15 houses and I had a rental portfolio of about 10 homes at the peak before I sold a lot of them off. Wow. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it definitely works. I mean, the money compounds, you know, as long as you don't touch it and you, know, you, you allow it to continue to grow. At the beginning, you're investing your own money. And towards the end, you're really just reinvesting the profits from the previous projects. Man, so it's a short-term sacrifice for long-term freedom. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's my whole lifestyle. Uh, like uh, some people will consider it money-hungry to say you're, you're so busy trying to make money, but for me, it's the opposite. It's getting money out of the way. You know, like mm-hmm. if I can, if I can lower lower my standards of living, my cost of living, focus on investing, then pretty soon I, I won't be dependent on any outsource 
any outside source of income. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I can produce my own income and basically live the lifestyle at that point that no one else can. I don't. I no longer have anybody telling me how many days a year I can be sick, what time I have to wake up every morning, how long I can take my lunch break. I wake up when I want. I handle business when I want. I go to sleep when I want now. That's awesome, man. I think that, how old are you right now? 33. 30, wow. So you started early then. You started in your early 20s. Oh, yeah. I, like I said, yeah, I started early. Um, yeah, like I said, when I was 23 and I had gotten out of school, I just quickly looked around. I quickly noticed that it's <laughs> kind of like you almost sold the dream. You know, that everybody seems to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. So I was like, I'll be an engineer because it only takes four years. Mm -hmm. you know? And I got out there and I was like, man, these people are miserable. <laughs> So it was like, yeah, I, I knew how to do something different. So it, it didn't take me long to, to hop on the train. I think a lot of people get caught in that, that success cycle that I was talking about earlier. So they don't realize it until maybe 30 or 35 after they've been in corporate America for 10 years. At that point, they've got so much debt and so many obligations with family and stuff. It makes it hard for them to take that leap at that point. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. So are you 100 um, percent full-time real estate investor right now? Probably about 50% of my time is real estate. The other 50% of my time, I actually leveraged the, the knowledge and connections that I got working for the railroad, and now I do railroad consulting. Wow. So I, yeah, so I think a lot of people miss that opportunity as well when they want to start a business and they have a job. They don't realize that whatever job they currently have, they're in that position because that company needs them. And there's other companies that probably don't have the internal capacity to hire someone for that role, but they can go out and be a consultant to smaller businesses and provide that same service. No matter, I mean, no matter what your job is, it's possible to find that niche somewhere out there in the market. And so that's what I do now. I help smaller companies that want to get business from the company that used to be my customers. I, I walk them in the door, um, and then I, I get a percentage of whatever contract so I close for them. I help them close. That's awesome. So you're part yeah. businessman, part investor. Right, and both of them are technically passive streams of income because once I secure the contracts for my for my clients, they do the work and I just get, you know, a percentage of the contract for the, the term of the, you know, whatever the term of the service is. Same thing with the real estate, you know, it's like you, you like the Napoleon Hill book, you think and grow rich, you come up with an idea, you put a plan together, you implement it, and then you create an ongoing income stream. That's cool. One thing I think that is um, cool is, I mean, that's one thing I talk about here is real estate investing or investing period and business ownership and it sounds like you're like super on the b and the i quadrant i'm sure you've read the book uh rich right. poor dad cash flow yeah. quadrant like that's that's where uh -huh. you are you're dominating those yeah. those two kind of quadrants right i think some people get stuck in that that um that s quadrant you know where you're self-employed but you, you really just create a job for yourself and you're still kind of obligated by the amount of hours you have available in a day mm -hmm. or you're tied to the amount of hours you have in a day so you're you're your production capacity, your income potential is still limited. So you have to move out of that and learn to use leverage of other people's efforts, other people's money, other people's time. You just make everything mutually beneficial, like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. when, you started, rock with that. when you started your business, was it more S quadrant or was it always completely B quadrant? Or did you kind of have to run it, get, get your systems in place and then shift out and then you started to be able to make it more and more passive? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the beginning, I mean, I wanted to do that because I wanted to understand the ins and outs of everything. But I mean, I, I guess on the real estate side, I, you know, I was not a contractor. So I had to lean on his expertise for that. And I wasn't going to take time to sit there and learn that business. I just 
basically leverage the the efforts of someone who had a proven track record of success already and just work with them yeah. you know yeah that's one thing i'm learning i'm learning that it's sometimes more beneficial to pay somebody to do what you can't do instead of trying to learn it oh definitely yeah <laughs> i agree yeah yeah you have whatever whatever your strength is and you pay for the time of someone else that has other strengths and that's the most efficient way to get to your goal so let's talk about um back on real estate what what does your best deal look like the best deal is the deal i have now i had the opportunity to own or finance an entire block of property just like a mile north of downtown houston on highway 59 um it was in fifth ward well it's in fifth ward and um at the time i got the property it was 2013 and revitalization was happening around the downtown area but it was going kind of counterclockwise around the city mm-hmm. and fifth ward is the last quadrant um of that counterclockwise motion so it would be at like m- maybe one o'clock you know two o'clock one o'clock if you're going counterclockwise around the, um, the downtown area mm-hmm. and so i bought it and it had um uh, several houses already on it and so i was able just to keep that property and lease lease it out as is to parolees they were doing like single room occupancy, paying like three or four hundred bucks a month per room, all bills paid. And so I was able to take that cash flow from that and just carry the cost of the property without having to come out of pocket for it. Um, when I acquired the property, I owned a finance it from a guy with 20% down and I had an investor put it, put up that 20%. So I really, I literally got the whole block of property I put in any of my own money. Um, and so uh, as of this year, as of 2016, they started redevelopment in the area. And so um, at this this state I'm at right now, uh, I've actually gotten funding from a bank to go ahead and dem- demolish the block and build some new construction on it. So that's definitely by far the best deal that I've had so far. What's the plan for the new construction? Uh, we're gonna build some townhomes, some single family townhomes, 12 of them. Um, and we're going to keep them kind of affordably priced, whereas Houston, uh, most most townhomes near downtown are 350 and above, and we're going to keep these under 300. So they'll be like 245, 285, mm-hmm. so that we can just move them quickly. And we've got um, a low cost of construction, so there should be some pretty good margins there nice. um, to to just basically finish this project and move on to another one. So you went from accidental landlord to flipper to now you're a developer. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, man. So, um, you know, and it's just one of those things where um, I looked at the opportunity to do it, and I, I really hadn't known anyone that had done it before on this scale, mm-hmm. but I knew builders, I knew investors, and, you know, it's like, I think a lot of times we always wait for somebody else to do something first, Yeah. but I always, always had a high risk tolerance, so, you know, I felt like, you know, for me, it was worth the risk to at least attempt to get it done. Yeah. And I mean, you're making a difference. I think that that's one of the great things about being creative and doing something that hasn't been done already is you're going to be able to create something that people need. They need affordable housing. And so by taking that risk and instead of waiting for somebody else to do it, you're probably going to make a big change and impact in that community. So I think that's awesome, man. Definitely, definitely. And it helps when you're, like you said, like like the whole purpose for your platform um, for our community is like to take away the excuses. So when they, the more examples they see of people that are actually doing things, um, the, the less rebuttals that they have or the less excuses they have for why it can't be done. Absolutely. That is the whole thing. It's so funny because um, I used to get into arguments with people on Twitter and I would put something out there and I'll say, see, 
Reginald Lewis exists. See, A.G. Gaston exists. You can do it too. And they did it in much worse circumstances. And people will say, no, no, yeah. it's not possible. And so then it's like you bring people like you and people like Jay Morrison and all those great people out there doing it. It's like nothing's impossible. Everything is possible. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm already inspired. I'm hearing your story. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm getting inspired. So um, <laughs> what what advice would you give your younger self if you had to go back and you had to tell your pre-college self, like, this is what you should be doing. What would you say? I would say learn about money. Learn how money works. Um, and don't focus on learning information to become someone's employee. Mm. Yeah. I think so many people invest so much in college and going to debt behind working for somebody else where people that become entrepreneurs and understand how to turn money over, you know, reach a higher level of success at that same age. You know, yeah. most of my mentors that I had, when I, even the contract I had, none of them had college degrees. You know, every mentor I had when I was in my 20s, I was in their 30s, that was already a millionaire, did not go to college. They learned business and they learned how money works. And that's how they built their first generation wealth. Business and how money works. Yeah. So, um, how are you finding deals now? Like, what's your strategy to find deals without giving up too much of the game? Oh, but, well, I mean, no, it's pretty straightforward. Um, for, for real estate, I'd kind of gotten out of that for a while. I was mainly focused on this development project. You know, this was kind of like my buying the whole play. Um, that's why I, I said I, looked, I had sold all my other rental properties and just kind of sit on the sideline. Um, but now I'm getting back into it when the wholesaling is basically the whole process of just finding properties. And so there's several ways you can do that. Um, you can market for distressed sellers. Um, you can ride through neighborhoods and uh, look for abandoned houses and do research on you know who the actual owner is and reach out to them. Um, you can go to the county and find out when the next tax foreclosure sale is and get the list of properties and reach out to those owners before the tax. Well, we have before the foreclosure sale or the tax sale happens. Um, you can research uh, probates which is, you know, when someone dies and there's going to be an inheritance dissemination amongst the, the heirs, you can reach out to them and say, hey, if there's any real estate you want to sell, let me know. I, I pretty much do a lot of all of that. We mail letters to those people. We reach out to them. We knock on doors. Um, so we get leads from several sources. So it's like you kind of, you don't leave any stone unturned, really. Right. Yeah, no, no stone unturned. Correct. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about how you finance your deals. You said hard money, um, bank financing. Um, what are some other strategies that you use to finance your deals? Um, well, like, like I said, the big property I bought was owner finance. So someone that owns a property free and clear, um, and you know they're not anxious to get a big lump sum of money, you can sometimes get them to basically take 10% of whatever you're going to buy from them for and just make payments to them. Um, that's one way to do it without having a whole lot of overhead. Another way would be just private money. I mean, once you get a little experience or you... Work, you, you find someone that does have experience, you can um, raise capital from, you know, friends, family members, somebody that has money um, that's not using it, uh, doctors, lawyers, those type of people that are really busy want to get into real estate investing, don't know how. You could basically establish a partnership with them where you use their capital to acquire the properties. Um, those are probably the best ways, I think, to do it. Like I said, hard money is good. A conventional bank is really hard. Yeah. to get funding for 
more than two or three deals. Once you have, once you own two or three properties, it's kind of hard to get a bank to loan you for any deals. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I think you laid it out. Is you um you had the mentor first. The mentor helps you get the experience. Mm-hmm. The experience helps you get uh-huh. the financing. Right. Nice. So yep. outside of um, like money partners, do you work with any other partners to take on larger deals? Um. So for this development project, I do have a nonprofit organization, a community, a community development corporation, um, that is working with me to get some of the costs down um, for like infrastructure. Um, they can get tax abatements, they can get cheaper cost of construction, and they can possibly get some grant money for the project to offset some of the costs, and that way we can sell some of the units even cheaper. Nice. So yeah, I do have people like that. Um, I definitely have real estate agents that I work with to sell the properties, to give me the market intel on um, what's going on. Um, I, I had funding guys that basically marketed the project to a different, couple of different capital sources to identify the best source of capital. So yeah, it's pretty much a team, and of course the team of architects and engineers that do all the design work. Right. So it's, it's definitely a full team. That's cool. I mean, because it sounded like you were just out there Donald Trumping it, but even Donald Trump has a team. You have a team. I think that's really cool. Oh yeah, yeah, Eric, yeah. I think that oh, yeah, I mean, one of the premises behind the whole Todd Capital company is that wealth building and investing are team sports. And so to think that you have right. to be an individual it's it's kind of impractical to think that you can just go out there and just mogul it without having a strong team behind you and to know that that team exists i think that one thing that you said that was really cool is you're working with nonprofits and cdc's and there's these organizations that are legit out there to help you become successful because you're providing a service right. for other people so uh, mm-hmm. it's like you have to position yourself to get that help definitely definitely position yourself i mean yeah, almost everyone on my team has more experience than me um, in the, at least 10 years in their respective field. So I always try to work with people that have expertise. Um, I don't like being the smartest person on the team. Mm-hmm. I just like being, you know, the, the, the glue that put the team together. Mm. So we've talked about um, real estate. We've talked about your consulting company. Have you done any other ventures outside of those two things? Actually, I have. So um, when I was kind of at the, the plateau of having the 10 rental properties and I had just bought that uh, block of property. Um, I started to sell off the rentals and I had uh, a long-term friend actually approached me, approached me with the opportunity to open a franchise of a hair salon of all things. Um, it's a hair salon and a hair extension salon. And so, um, you know, it was completely foreign to me, but I met with the owners and they had five locations here in Houston. And um, they showed me the, the revenue stream and it was pretty impressive. They were making almost a half a million dollars or grossing almost half a million dollars at some of the locations in Houston. So um, I did that for about two years. Um, it was good exposure to franchising, working with a partnership, um, managing employees. Uh, I learned a lot about customer facing uh, businesses, retail business. Um, so it's a lot and I basically learned that I like real estate a whole lot more. <laughs> So yeah, I did that and then um, actually bought into a restaurant partnership for about a year. And that's another business where I learned that I really don't like it because restaurants have really small margins, 10 to 15% profit. So you can have really high revenue, 50 grand a month and only making $5,000 in profit. You know, it's a lot of work for such a little a little return. Absolutely. Know? So yeah, but outside of those are the only two major ventures that I got into outside of the um, 
the real estate and of course the railroad consulting. So I don't like to talk about bad stuff, but um, I think it might help for the listeners. Yeah, no, that's the most important part. I mean, you know, people that have made to certain levels, they can talk about the mistakes they've made and the hurdles they've had. Hopefully the next person doesn't have to go through the same stuff. So it's really important. What, What was your worst deal? Worst, worst real estate deal. I bought a house in an area of Houston, which is southwest Houston, called A-Leaf. And they have really bad soils over there. I didn't know this at the time. But when you have bad soils, you have a lot of settling, a lot of foundations in the house. So I bought the house, and I had to spend about five grand to get it leveled. When they leveled the house, they actually had broken a water line under the house that we didn't know about. So literally... Um, we were 85% finished with the rehab. It was like a $20,000 rehab. And the water, the soil was, was so wet that the foundation began to slip again. Wow. So everything that was fixed in the house was broken again. So sheetrock was messed up. The framing was off again. Um, there was more plumbing issues. So I ended up losing about $15,000 on that deal where at, at the beginning the profit was going to be about 35000 so they went fifty thousand dollars in another direction because of those issues. So, um, so it's really. <laughs> is that something you factor in going forward when you look at deals to make sure that you check the soil, check the foundation, all that stuff? Definitely, definitely. Um, those are the, like those types of issues are things that you you want to avoid if you can. Um, anything with the foundation, anything with any house that has big trees in the yard with big roots close to the house. Those are always bad signs because sometimes those roots go, grow into the plumbing or they grow up under the slab and cause issues or they grow into the sewer line that goes out to the street. And those are the type of things that you won't see walking through the house with an inspection or with a contractor. It's, it's usually not until you get into the deal that you discover that kind of stuff. So, so. It, it cost you 15 grand, but it was it was an education. Yeah, I call that real-world tuition. Yeah. You know, either, either you're going you're gonna to pay for a degree or you're going to lose money in the real world and learn the same learn a lesson so it's a real world tuition what are some other mistakes that you made that were also lessons partnering with the wrong person is always an issue I I I had an unfavorable partnership with the hair salon Um, I partnered with someone who kind of respected me who was used to making a good bit of money in, in, in the oil and gas industry but they had no real business experience and so I, I mistakenly took um, personal ambition for the ability to be be um, an entrepreneur and an and a efficient manager of other people. And so my partner really didn't bring anything to the table as far as skill set that helped propel the business forward. Um, it was more it's someone I had to kind of carry almost. Um, and so... From that left, from that experience, I learned that if I if I do do a partnership, it's got to be someone that has a strong complementary skill set, not the, not even the same skill set, but I want someone that can bring different things to the table so that you know we can divide and conquer versus having to waste energy and time working on the same tasks or you know or things of that nature. I think at some point early on when I got. The, the the light bulbs that went off for entrepreneurship. I think I spent too much time and effort trying to get other people on the train. Mm. And, you know, I thought everyone was crazy that wanted to keep a corporate job and didn't want to be their own boss. And 
Um, I spent a lot of my time and my energy instead of focused on reaching my goals. I spent a lot of time trying to convince others that they needed to be doing what I was doing. And that actually burned a lot of bridges. And after a while, I started to realize that, hey, some of those people are better suited where they are because the stress level and the roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur really isn't for everyone. Yeah. So what made you um, want to convince them? I'm asking because I do the same thing. So <laughs> what uh, what made you want to convince them? And um, is it? I think for me, I do it because it's like, in part, you're kind of looking for confirmation. And it's like, if you're doing something that you think is great and you think it's going to change your life, you would think that other people would want to do the same thing as well. Yeah. Um, I, everyone has their own their own goals in life. I mean, some, some people have absolutely a non-monetary goal. They just want to happy home life a happy family you know some some people want some people are happy um with a minimal minimalist lifestyle and uh being a volunteer you know helping other people so you can't really um i guess you can't you can't really judge some what what makes someone else happy you know and you can't expect them to look for the same goals that you have or you know look for the same things you do absolutely i, I definitely agree i think that's kind of how i reconcile it is like hey everybody has different goals and i just know what my goals are and I know that I have to do what's in line with reaching my goals and I can't waste too much time trying to get somebody else to come along the path that I'm on because they have way different goals and that's okay. Yeah. So um, what two successes have you had that taught, that taught you the most? I would say success number one was being able to walk away from corporate America without any stress. I think that that really kind of confirmed the importance of having a plan and the importance of being ready for the opportunity when it presents itself and the ability to um, not have an overwhelming apprehension about the next step. Um, I, I was in a position where I was kind of comfortable with the corporate job. Um, I had built up a second stream income with the real estate and that incident happened at work where uh, an executive was kind of throwing me under the bus for something that I was trying to make everyone aware of. And when they actually realized how big of an issue it was, you know, they they threw it back on me and made it seem like I was not communicating clearly, which I which I was. And so when I realized that someone else can literally dictate your future based on what they misunderstand or what they purposely mislead others on just to cover their own butt, you know, it made me realize that, you know, it was time for me to go and for me to be able just to make that step successfully and smoothly transition out of that and become full-time entrepreneur um, was a huge lesson. That's huge. Huge lesson, huge lesson in confirmation that I was doing the right thing. Yeah. I think the second huge success would be, funny, funny, neither one of these really related to the real estate because, well, I guess the first one was, but this one is more on the, the other business side is just to success in knowing that um, I was able to take what I was doing in corporate America and apply it in the private sector and basically double the take-home income that I had when I was working in the public sector, I mean, in the corporate corporate America. Um, so there's another lesson in believing in yourself and taking the skill set that you gain and applying it in a different arena um, for a larger result, a more profitable result personally, a more rewarding result personally. personally yeah. Very cool. So I have a few more questions. Um, one of those questions is, where do you see yourself in the future? You're still young, man. So you have 20 years. I mean, you have longer than that, but let's say 20 years. Like, what's the 20-year goal? The 20-year goal. Um, 
Honestly, in 20 years, I want to be fully invested in motivating others to become entrepreneurs and building a strong network of, I want to call it the Underground Railroad, but in the sense of an economic Underground Railroad where, you know, there's those that have made it, those that I have helped get to that level that are helping others and they're helping people below them. And we kind of have built up um, a, a group economic system that you see with many other cultures that we don't have. That's awesome. So, you know, I just want, want to be able to be that symbol of success and you know, help others become that as well. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. I never, I mean, that's kind of what I think exists through Instagram. I've made a lot of connections through a lot of really solid people, but yeah. I never really considered it like an underground railroad, but that's really cool. I think that's exactly what we need. Yeah, right, yeah. What advice do you have for people looking to get started? Read, 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 read. Um, my favorite books that I, that I like to suggest to everyone read is number one, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, because it kind of it's an easy read it's easy to comprehend and it, it has a lot of revelations in it that helps you open your eyes to see that there's something more than just working for other people out there and then the second book is um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill uh, that book is a little bit more in depth you have to read it slower to really understand all the concepts that he's talking about but he, you know, the book is based on him interviewing over a hundred of the most successful people on earth at the time that he would, that he uh, compiled the data to write the book. And he talked, the book is only about the 13 things that they had in common. So I think those two books are really powerful. Um, and then next would be networking with successful people in the areas that you are trying to get into. You know, whatever business you're trying to do, whatever investment arena you're trying to get into, networking with those people that are successful in that um, is is crucially important because they can help you with the actual steps to get to where you want to go in that process. But you got to have the mindset, which is where the reading starts, and then you got to have the people with the experience to kind of get, get to give you guidance. There we go. I'm a big big proponent of reading. And that was actually the next next question I was going to ask you was what your favorite book is, but we've already discussed that. But maybe you can give us one more. Right. What, I mean, aside from those two, which ones? What have you read recently? Recently, I read a book uh, called The Soul of Money, which is pretty good. But I think my favorite book of recent reads was The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster by Darren Hardy. Mm -hmm. um, it, it gives a lot of insight um, on his personal path to entrepreneurship and then the highs and lows of owning a business and being in business for the wrong reason and, you know, reconciling and identifying what, you know, what, what your true purpose is. So it's really powerful. Um, it, it, it hits the nail on the head on a lot of things as far as the, the stress level, the anxiety, the, uh, the exuberance that you feel at certain times in the process and, you know, just how to balance it all out. Nice. Yeah, I think I, I really think that that's one of the things that drew me to your page is like not only are you doing great things, but you're reading. And I think that um, I think reading is huge. I, I know that a lot of the times like my ideas will come from a book, but I won't re like really remember which book it came from. But it's like I was exposed to you seeing yeah. things. And I mean, there's a lot of people who might not live in the best areas, but if you can read a book, you can tap into the experience and the knowledge of people who might have been raised in the better areas or who might know things that you'll never even know if you just stick to the people that you know in your immediate circle reading really elevates people yeah last question is mm -hmm. what does wealth mean to you 
Wealth means having a passive income that exceeds your lifestyle. So if you can live off of five thousand dollars a month and be completely happy, and you're bringing in six, seven thousand dollars a month and can put a little bit on the side and live off of five, then technically that's wealth. So if you have, you know, and that goes up from there. You have a hundred thousand dollar a month lifestyle. You, you got to make probably one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a month. Um, and I, I mean that's the that's the the true definition of wealth because a dollar amount of income doesn't doesn't really mean anything if you exceed that type of lifestyle, yeah. uh, you know, and if you're supporting it on credit or debt, you know. Very cool. So that pretty much wraps up the list of questions that I have. There's a lot that I've I've taken from this interview. I I learned a lot. Um, I learned that a lot more things that I didn't think are possible are possible. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing your experience, your views, your knowledge with the people. Um, if they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Um, they can find me um, on, actually, if they go to my website, chrissenegal.com, um, it has links to my social media. Um, if you want to look me up directly on Instagram, it's underscore investor, but no vowels. So it's underscore I-N-V-S-T-R. Uh, but yeah, so either one of those avenues, ChrisSenegal.com or Instagram, you can find me. I'll be out there trying to plug n- um, nuggets of motivation and keep everybody inspired. Cool, cool. All right, so thank you everyone for tuning in to episode 28 of the Thai Capital Millionaire Podcast. My name is Charles Oglesby. If you have any interest in any of the programs that we have going on, you can find us at CapitalTodd.com. Email us at info at CapitalTodd.com. And next week, we'll have another amazing guest. I thank Chris for being here. Um, This is episode 28.